Welcome everybody to our July episode of the S Word, a podcast about suicide prevention. My name is Sarah Kolbeck. I'm an assistant professor in psychiatry and behavioral medicine at the Medical College of Wisconsin, and I direct our division of suicide prevention in our comprehensive injury center. And after a month off, I am very glad to be back uh, recording with Andrew. Yes. And hi, everyone. I'm Andrew Schramm. I'm a clinical psychologist and uh, assistant professor in the Department of Surgery and in the Division of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery at Medical College of Wisconsin. So happy to have you all with us today. Yes. And we're so excited for our guest this morning, Gail Urso with Kevin Song. Before we get started, though, I just want to spend a couple minutes reminding you of some resources that are available. If you're ever concerned about yourself or a loved one, um, you can dial or text 988. That is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week confidential crisis and lifeline. You don't have to be in suicide crisis to utilize 988, but certainly feel free to access that resource if needed. There's also the crisis text line, which you can reach by texting the word TALK to 741-741. Again, that's a confidential service available 24-7. And as just a quick content reminder, I just want to remind our listeners that we will be talking about issues related to suicide and suicide prevention today. And so if at any time you feel like you need to take a break, please feel free to hit pause and come back and we will be here when you return. I am really excited to welcome our guest this morning. Our guest is Gail Urso, and she is the co-founder of Kevin's Song, which is an organization that we're going to be talking about this morning. When I was doing a little bit of research about Kevin's Song, I was really excited to also learn that Gail was the recipient of the American Association of Suicidology's 2023 Lost Survivor Award. And so congratulations for that, Gail. Um, that's a that's an honor and I'm sure very well-deserved. So welcome to the podcast this morning, Thank Gail. You. We are so glad to have you. Well, I'm yeah. delighted yeah. to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to, like I said, I did some, some research into Kevin's song as I was preparing for today's episode, but I would love for you Tell us about your organization. Um, you know, what is the story of Kevin's song and what inspired this work? Well, I'd be happy to. Um, Kevin's song has been in existence for 10 years. We um, actually founded the organization in 2013, the same year we lost our son, Kevin, to suicide. Um, Kevin was 41 when he died. He lived in Florida, we're in Michigan. Um, We had seen Kevin just a month, six weeks prior to his death. And we were, we've often looked back on how we came home from the trip, visiting him and thought how good he seemed. And um, when he died by suicide, Uh, we were just, of course, we were devastated, but we were also shocked because we never had thought it was a possibility. Mm -hmm. Not only was it the kind of thought that, well, this is what happens to other people, but it literally was not in our consciousness. And 
we consider ourselves both pretty educated, well-informed people. We had no idea that suicide was as prevalent in our country and in the world mm -hmm. as it is. In fact, the year Kevin died by suicide, approximately 45,000 people in this country died by suicide. Right. So I believe it was the month after Kevin died, possibly May. He died in March, possibly May. Newsweek magazine came out with a cover story. And I'll never forget it because it was just so eye-opening. Um, it was called the suicide epidemic. And at that time, Newsweek was only doing an online version of their magazine. And it was like a 26-page article with all kinds of information and resources. And so John and I realized that if we didn't know, probably a lot of other people didn't know also what a possibility suicide was. If it could happen to us, it could happen to anyone. And so we decided to do something with our grief, with our the energy from what had happened. And we decided to form this organization. And we had wonderful friends who joined us in the effort. And our primary goal when we created this nonprofit organization was to educate the community at large. I mean, just let people know what we did not know. And so we decided to uh, create a website that would have resources. Oh, I should say that one of the things that we learned during the space of the months between Kevin's death and when we formed Kevin's song was that there were all these wonderful organizations that were dealing with suicide prevention, but we had never heard of any of them. Mm -hmm. And what we found was that many of them had never connected with each other. Mm. And um, so we decided we would form a website that would have resources and helpful information. We decided to create a film and if we have enough time, I'd love to tell you how that idea came about. But um, we wanted to have a film that was talked about suicide, not just about mental health issues. And oh, by the way, suicide, we wanted it to deal with suicide. We were successful in doing that. We created a film called Death is Not the Answer. And a rather renowned filmmaker, Keith Famey, created the film for us. Uh, and the third thing we wanted to do was have a conference. And at that at the time we created the Kevin Song, the conference idea was a little bit vague, but we just thought it would be a good opportunity to bring people together. So in hindsight, 10 years ago, looking back 10 years, those were all good ideas for projects because each of them has continued to uh, be implemented by Kevin's song and has grown in scope and impact. The website you've seen, I would refer people to 
kevinsong.org. The film, we actually have now created quite a few short documentary films that are, some are available on our website. Some of them are available through our website. Okay. But, um, I want to just as quickly as I can tell you the story of why we thought of making a film. Yes, please, please do. Yeah, no. Okay. In February of 2013, um, I have a very dear friend who lives on the other side of town, about an hour, 50 minutes away. And she invited me to come see a documentary film that a clinical psychologist friend of hers had created called Transforming Loss. Mm. The film is called Transforming Loss. And if you're familiar with it, it's absolutely excellent. It, it, anyway, this friend asked me to come. And the last thing I wanted to do on a cold Tuesday night in February was drive across town to see this film. But I did. And the film tells the story of, I think it's seven individuals or couples who have suffered a traumatic loss and, and the grieving process they go through over approximately five years. And at the end, and the film was very well done. Uh, it was hard to watch, but it was very heartening and in the end uplifting because all of the stories had outcomes that you know, showed people surviving and thriving in their grief. And at the end, the lights went on. And I remember all the people who had been in the film were in the audience and stood up and acknowledged wow. the, everyone turned around, smiled, waved. And about a month later, our son died. And of course, when you get a phone call like that, it's, it's, you'll never forget it. it. It's devastating. But I also remember that that day, I, I thought about that film. Mm -hmm. And I thought people got through their grief, or they got through their tragedies. We can do this. Yeah. And that thought was with me going forward. So I was so happy I had made that trek across town <laughs> to see the film. So grateful for the film. I can't recommend it highly enough. And I, I think that it was because of that that I realized the impact a film could make. And that was why we decided that one of our goals would be to produce a film. So... That's my story about the film. Yeah. Anyway, Kevin, Kevin's song, from the time we got started, um, has met with a very, I don't want to use the word enthusiastic, but um, just a lot of support. We've had support from the media, which has been really helpful because that was one of the things we were hoping for so that average people like us would know our story right. and know that it too could happen to them. 
Mm -hmm. So many people have thanked us for talking about our loss publicly. I'll never forget after the memorial service we had for Kevin, in which we publicly spoke about his death. A woman came up to me as we were walking out of the church and she said, my father died from suicide 30 years ago and I have never told a soul. And now I feel like I can talk about it. Wow. So um, we, we had our first conference in 2016. And we, this is another one of those stories that I like to tell, but um, as we were putting it together, we knew what, what content we wanted it to have, but how were we gonna get people to come? So I had saved that Newsweek magazine article. In that Newsweek magazine, the primary, the focus of the article was Dr. Thomas Joyner from mm -hmm. Florida State University, who of course is like one of the gurus of suicidology. And it told his own personal, about his own personal loss of his father, but the work he's done and so on. So I thought, yes. well, why don't I just see if Dr. Joyner will come and be a keynote speaker? Wow. So I sent him a long email thinking in two weeks I might hear from someone that is in his office. Within two hours, he had responded and accepted oh my our God. invitation. Wow. That's amazing. Once you have, once you have Dr. Thomas Joyner coming to be your keynote speaker, there was absolutely no trouble getting other speakers or medical and mental health professionals to come to the conference. Mm -hmm. And he has come every year since. Wow. But um, it, it was a very uh, important beginning. And the conference has just continued to grow and become better and better each year. Uh, it's... We now have approximately 400 people who attend, mostly mental health professionals, educators, medical personnel, um, and different targeted audiences, depending, sometimes veterans, sometimes first responders, sometimes clergy, depending on the areas that we're trying to focus on. Mm -hmm. So our, our conference, our next conference is scheduled for the end of January, 2024. Wonderful. Yeah. Gail, can I ask, when did, did you um, produce the film and, and when was the first year of, of the conference? I believe it was 2016. And I believe that that's the year that the film was produced. Wow, okay. Because I, I remember that we had the premiere as the first night at the conference. Oh, wow. Wow. I'm, I'm wondering, Gail, um, it, it sounds like for the film, part of your goal was to kind of increase visibility of suicide prevention to kind of the general public, sure. so to say. And, and so I'm curious, it, it, it seems like the 
shift there was a shift in your focus a bit or an added focus for the conference in terms of mental health professionals um am i hearing that right or talk, well, talk more about the goals for the conference if you would that's very interesting i i think when we started the idea of having a conference was more to get media attention mm-hmm. so that the public would learn that we were doing this. Yep. Um, does that make sense? It does. Like we thought if we have a if we have a conference in Detroit about suicide, someone's gonna pay attention to that. Absolutely. So I think from there, and that's a great question because it does take me back to how how we got started. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did get some media attention. I remember specifically the local um, NBC channel, um, WDIV, did some a nice, very nice story and a number of the channels picked it up. So in that sense, we accomplished what we wanted, but the people who came, it turned out, were the mental health professionals. Mm-hmm. And they were all so happy, so appreciative to have an opportunity to attend a, a conference of the quality this was. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, they just come back every year and more people come. But um, yes, you're right. When we started, we, we weren't thinking that, that, that we were going to be teaching anybody anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, since that time, we have learned that there is a dire need for mental health professionals to get this information. Absolutely. Because as I'm sure you know very well, most schools don't prepare their students who are going to be therapists to deal with suicide. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that was shocking. I think it's really sad and a problem. Mm-hmm. I know some states have some requirements, but um, Michigan at this time does not. And that's something we're trying to address. So I think that as, as people began to come together and understand the importance of what they were learning, um, you know, the word spread. Mm-hmm. The, other, the other thing that was really great that well, I don't think we've, paid enough attention to is the fact that we always have a resource gallery and we have probably 30 organizations that come together to share, to have tables and spread information and they network. And so there have been many times where I've heard uh, like months later that this organization from West, the West side of our state had a speaker that they heard at our conference who maybe was from the Upper Peninsula, you know, speak at something they were doing. So there's there have been a lot of connections made. And um, the state of Michigan now is, I think, doing, I mean, there are a lot of very active, wonderful organizations in Michigan. And in fact, Governor Whitmer um, has has created a commission on suicide prevention with some of the top 
people in the field from Michigan on that panel, on the commission. Kevin Song actually created another organization called With One Voice. And we, because we realized that to accomplish certain things, it would be much easier if you had a united voice rather than just individual nonprofits or community mental health agencies from around the state, you know, addressing an issue. If all of these folks got together and spoke with one voice, there would be much more leverage. So this, this is a completely separate now nonprofit organization with, I believe, about 100 organizations from around the state who are participating. And it's just, it's kind of getting off the ground. They have a board of directors now and goals and um, are looking for funding and so on. But it's, I think it's going to be really effective. It's exciting to hear about the multiple avenues that you're taking to impact change around this. And I, I want to name that I'm, I'm sorry that you had the impetus to, to do this work. Um, I don't know, it feels important just to name that, but also really an honor to hear about all the meaning that you've made from this. And so so thank you for sharing that. Well, thank you. And I I, I understand and appreciate the way you worded that. And it kind of goes back to the honor that you mentioned I received in the beginning. Mm. It's certainly a mixed blessing. Right. You know, it's wonderful to be the recipient of this national award, but you only receive that if you've lost someone to suicide. So yeah. 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 I um I want to echo that. And I appreciate you making space for that, Andrew. Um, because it is, you know, that there was that loss and there was Kevin's life and you know, the the way that you all are are honoring it. And I one of the things that you said earlier that stuck out to me was the story about the woman who came up to you at Kevin's memorial that whose father had died and they yeah. just never talked about it. And you think about um, you know, carrying that. And so you know, what you all have done through Kevin's song to bring that conversation out of the darkness and into the light, I think it's just so needed and lovely and important. So I just want to thank you for the work that you do. Well, thank you. And, and really, I think, I mean, I, I very much appreciate that. What our work has made us realize, though, is there are a lot of people out there doing this work. I mean, you're obviously two of them. There, there are people at the university level, there are people in small community centers, there are people in hospitals. Um, it, it, there is a lot of work being done, but there is so much work to be done. And, um, you know, Tom, I'll never forget Thomas Joyner at his, at the very first conference of ours that he spoke at. So that would have been 2016, said in the world of um, cancer research, he said, a hundred years ago, no one talked about cancer. Today, we have pink ribbons on pizza boxes. Mm -hmm. yeah. He said, in the world of suicide, 
we're at about year 25. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that was very sobering, mm-hmm. but I think it's so true. I mm-hmm. mean, there's, there are so many unanswered questions. I mean, when you look at the population of people who die by suicide, you have every sex, race, ethnicity, income level. It, it, it doesn't matter. It crosses all all of mankind. Now, obviously, certain populations are more at risk. We know that. But um, there is so much to learn, so much that has to be learned. And, you know, the research end of it is extremely important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You've talked a lot about your, you know, your experience and how you know, this the, uh, loss by suicide is something that is not always talked about, you know, and your organization obviously is working on changing that. And one of the things that I encounter in the work that I do is, you know, talking to folks who, you know, maybe haven't experienced a suicide in their life. What would you say to somebody maybe who is looking to support somebody that has lost um, a family member or a loved one to suicide, what would you want them to know to help support that person who's um, grieving from a loss by suicide? That's a really great question because I think people are so, they always worry about how do you do this? Absolutely. First of all, you've lost someone. It doesn't matter how you've lost them. I mean, in one sense, you, you've just lost a person that was important to you in your life. So in that sense, it's a death and you you need to reach out and, and support that person. People often don't know what to say. And right. the thing, you just say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for your loss. It's, I remember when uh, we lost Kevin, of course, we we had to leave this. We went down to Florida, but when we came back, our friends just they bring over food. They drop off a dinner, or they send cards, or they send flowers, or just a note. I'm thinking of you. A text message. Right. The worst thing is if people don't acknowledge what's happened. Mm-hmm. I would say that's the worst. Yeah. The other thing I think it's important for people to know is that in being supportive, you want to let people know you're there for them. You, um, you're happy to talk, but you don't ask questions. You don't mm-hmm. ask any for details of what sure. ever. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how many people do that. And so that that I would say is one of the the absolute no-nos. Yeah. Uh, and we run some support groups, Kevin Song does. And support groups are so important for lost survivors because they can talk with other people who have experienced someone losing someone to suicide. And that is one thing that comes, Those this whole conversation comes up frequently. So Sarah, it's a great question because from the from the viewpoint of the lost survivor, 
they want the death to be acknowledged. They want people right. to reach out just like, I mean, I'm going after we have this today, I'm going to meet a friend for lunch who lost her husband a couple of weeks ago. Oh my gosh. To, to me with her. Mm-hmm. You would, I would do the same thing with someone who lost someone to suicide. It doesn't matter. Right. Right. And the other thing, I guess the other thing that comes to mind is that the person who dies by suicide ends their life because they're in so much pain, they can't, they can't go on. But that isn't, that's not who they were. You know, they were Mm -hmm. so much more than that. And so that's what you talk about with them, Mm -hmm. with, with the survivors. So I think the most important thing is to just be there for someone. Just even if you say, I don't know what to say, I'm just mm-hmm. sorry for your loss. I'll miss this person too. Just to be there and to check in with them, to not ask for any details, because that is so painful and hard for the survivors to deal with. Mm-hmm. And um, you would certainly know that from, mm-hmm. I'm sure your work with trauma and so on. I mean, that's, that's another whole issue, but mm-hmm. the, um, and if I could add, I, I think that those details not being necessary to provide support. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's very, very important. And um, I mean, we have probably a, a hundred, if not more, lost survivors who we deal with all the time. I don't know how any of their people died. I don't mm-hmm. care to know. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So I just think that is a really important point. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so it, it's just, I, I've heard so many stories of people who say, you know, oh, I run into someone in the grocery store or I went to a dinner party. Not one person said anything to me about the fact I'd lost my son. Wow. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I think people are just so afraid. There still is a stigma. We know that attached to suicide. Mm-hmm. I think it's better. I think the more we talk about it, the, the more people understand. But if there's still a stigma attached to it. And, and I think that's part of what makes it difficult for some people to know how to, how to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, Gail, in your work with many survivors of a, a loss from suicide, um, I'm wondering about the kind of variability in the ways of coping or grieving that you see. And, and so for your family, you know, you've found great comfort and meaning in this work that you're doing really soon after the, yeah. the 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 loss of your son. I'm curious, do you see that looking differently for uh, other survivors that you work with? Could you comment on maybe how you've seen grief um, play out differently for people? Absolutely. And I'm really glad you brought that up because I will say 
that one of the reasons I wanted to tell the story about seeing the film Transforming Loss is that in that film, those survivors of different kinds of tragedies all coped with their grief in different ways. Mm -hmm. And a couple of them had done something similar to what we've done. And I think that was probably um, important in our decision to move forward. Not that we ever discussed the film, but just knowing that doing something, because that's kind of our nature. My mm -hmm. husband and I are like people who like to organize things and do things. And so it was a way for us to use our energy. It's definitely not for everyone. Mm -hmm. And there are people who need time alone. Who like Reading seems to be very, very helpful for people who have lost someone to suicide. A lot of people find comfort in their, their church or their synagogue, their community that they belong to. I think the most important thing is that there'll be no pressure to do anything, but to just go mm -hmm. where your heart takes you and know that it's okay. It could be a year. It could be three years. It could be six weeks, you know, before you decide to become active, perhaps with us, become involved with a support group or um, it, it's, it's so such an individual thing. Yeah. And I think it's so important to honor your own self and your feelings and what's good for you. We were fortunate that my husband and I both were in the same place about doing something. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, we weren't completely in the same place about how we dealt with the grief but we were of a similar mind that we could do something, that we should do something about this. But um, no, I think it's so important for people to just be wherever they are. We know how grief affects people so differently. So I hope that answers your question. It does, thank you. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that before we wrap up the episode today that we um, spend some time um, hearing about Kevin and his life. You mentioned earlier that, you know, people are so much more than their suicide. And so, um, you know, I just thought this would be an opportunity for us to hear a little bit about Kevin and his life. If you'd be willing to share, um, oh, I'd like to yeah. talk about him and, and hear about his life a little bit. Sure. Thank you. For the chance, really. Yeah. Um, Kevin was our oldest son. We have three sons. Kevin was the oldest. And um, Kevin was a very bright, very talented young man. He, he, um, he was very verbal from a very, very early age. Um, he had a wonderful sense of humor. He was very funny. In fact, there were people who really thought he could have made a living being a stand-up comedian. Wow. He had a beautiful singing voice. Mm -hmm. He was very shy. Um, I, I will say that from a very early age, he was challenging. Mm 
and I, I suppose because he was our first, I didn't realize how challenging he was until I had two more and they seemed so much easier. <laughs> but he, he, he um, always had his own way of doing things. He, he I, I would say feisty, um, but challenging when I look back. I, I remember I reading every, my, my master's degree was in um, child development. Well, I realized I didn't know much at all. So I remember doing a lot of reading and trying to figure out how to, and then of course we were first time parents too. So that makes a difference. But he, um, in hindsight, I think Kevin dealt with some depression from a very early age that no one understood. We took him to, uh, we had we went to family counseling. He saw a therapist from time to time. No one ever, ever suggested that he separate from depression. Mm. He did have ADHD. That was diagnosed when he was probably 15, and which seems old, but you know, you have to also remember at this time, things were just the, we were beginning to understand all of this and doctors were and so on. But he did have ADHD. And um, so school was a challenge for him. And we all knew how bright he was. So I think, and he knew. So I think that was extremely frustrating for him. But by the time he got to high school, we had trouble getting him to go to school. And that's where I think the depression became a factor. Um, he, he continued to, I said he was shy. He had this gorgeous singing voice, but when he was in a, like a school choir, he, he would not sing. And, um, you know, things like that were always made him challenging or seemed different and it was hard to understand why he would react to certain things the way he did but meanwhile he kept us all very engaged with his humor and his he loved animals he was huge animal lover and we always had pets and he was always wonderful with them and as he got older he would find stray pets to bring home and, um <laughs> he ended up um he ended up going to college for two years where he was studying social work. Okay. And we think he would have been a wonderful therapist, mm -hmm. just would have been great. But he, he took an internship at the Children's Home of Detroit, which was a facility that provided homes for young people who were wards of the court. And um, he became a very much loved employee of that organization. I mean, I still yeah. run into people all the time who either served on the board or worked there and knew Kevin and talked about how fabulous he was mm -hmm. with these children. And um, I, I didn't mention, because I didn't think of it, Kevin 
was adopted. Okay. And, um, you know, that never meant anything to us, but I think it always meant something to him. Mm -hmm. And in later years, he found his birth family. We know, we know them. We're in touch with them. We did find that depression runs in both of his birth parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, we learned that his birth father lost two brothers to suicide. Okay. So I don't know what that means, but it was certainly interesting. Um, Kevin seemed to have found a lot more peace as he got older, although he moved to Florida because the weather, the grayness in Michigan bothered him so much. Mm -hmm. He was seeing a therapist. He was diagnosed with depression. He moved to Florida to have more sunshine. Mm -hmm. um, he loved the beach. He loved the water. He had found a job, but then he got laid off. So he was looking for a job. He had a significant other, a woman that had moved with him from Florida, who was, um, we think, wonderful for him. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so I think we could say that he did suffer from depression probably for a good part of his life. Yeah. And in the end, um, the consequence was, but when I say, I mean, we did not, as parents, recognize some of the signs and symptoms of depression. Mm -hmm. um, even when we saw Kevin the month before he died and we thought he was so great, he had lost a lot of weight. Okay. We didn't realize that was a symptom of depression. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I don't say that in the sense of blaming ourselves. I mean, we just didn't right. know. Yeah. But that's one yeah. of the reasons we want to share whatever right. we didn't know with other people because it can happen to anybody. Yeah. And um, mm -hmm. I think yeah. I think Kevin, like so many, you know, one of the things Dr. Joyner talks about is how one of the things everyone has in common who takes their life is they don't want to be a burden to other people. Right. Yeah. That burdensomeness. Mm -hmm. You so you keep inside how badly you're feeling. Yeah. And um, I think that was certainly true of Kevin. We actually think also that Kevin had probably made the decision much earlier to end mm -hmm. his life and that he was feeling good. Yeah. Because he had decided to end his life. Yeah. It's hard to paint a picture of Kevin. He mm -hmm. was such a complicated person, but mm -hmm. very endearing, engaging, mm -hmm. funny, yeah. loving, kind. But so, so compassionate. Complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 We really appreciate you sharing his story a little bit more. And, you know, through kind of hearing that story, you know, the the mission and the work of Kevin's song clicks even more for me, for sure. Because I think, you know, hearing about your experience and just not knowing, and then that desire and drive to bring as much of that information to folks 
as possible through Kevin's song and the work that you're doing. Um, just, again, I think it's a beautiful way to honor his life and to do such important work that is, um, as you've said, so needed even today. So thank you so much for that and for sharing. Well, thank you. Yeah. Of course. Thank you. And so the website is kevinsong.org. And you mentioned that the conference is coming up at the end of January yes. uh, over in Detroit. I'm going to try and make it this year. I was yes. looking at the schedule last year and it just didn't work with my timing, but I hope I, I get to make it over there this year. Um, oh, and is there yeah. information about the conference on the website, I'm assuming? Yes, there is. Oh, perfect. And I will also mention that there's, we have a list of books I mentioned okay. that people often find it helpful to read. There are mm -hmm. in our resources. We have we feature a book a month, and we have a wonderful collection of books. There's also on the homepage, there is a wonderful article by Father Ron Rollheiser mm -hmm. that I recommend everyone read, which is called Suicide, the Most Misunderstood Death. Mm -hmm. And um it, it's it's really very valuable. So, um, yes, that's it'd be wonderful to see you at our conference. It would, yes, I would love to meet you in person. And we'll make sure that uh, we have that Kevin's song linked in our caption for folks so that they can get to your site easily. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much, Gail. We, we really appreciated having you today and learning about Kevin's song and learning a little bit more about Kevin. So, thank you. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. Just a reminder for our listeners, if you are ever concerned about yourself or a loved one, you can dial or text 988, the National um, Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. You can also text the Hope Line, which is the text crisis line by texting the word TALK to 741741. We hope that you take some time to do something nice for yourself today, and we look forward to seeing you for our next episode in August. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Take care, everyone.